Chapter 12 The Promise The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. Du Bois Recorded by A. J. Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Smith sat with her face buried in her hands while the tears trickled silently through her thin fingers before her lay the letter read a dozen times old mrs gray has been to see me and she has announced her intention of endowing five colored schools yours being one she asked if five hundred thousand would do it she has plenty of money so i told her seven hundred fifty thousand dollars would be better a hundred fifty thousand dollars apiece she's arranging for a board of trust etc you'll probably hear from her soon you've been so worried about expenses that i thought i'd send this word on i knew you'd be glad glad dear god how flat the word fell for thirty years she had sown the seed planting her life-blood in this work that had become the marrow of her soul successful no it had not been successful but it had been human through yonder doorway had trooped an army of hundreds upon hundreds of bright and dull light and dark eager and sullen faces there had been good and bad honest and deceptive frank and furtive some had caught kindled and flashed to ambition and achievement some glowing dimly had plodded on in a slow dumb faithful work worth while and yet others had suddenly exploded hurtling human fragments to heaven and to hell around this school home as around the centre of some little universe had whirled the sorrowful sordid laughing pulsing drama of a world birth pains and the stupor of death hunger and pale murder the riot of thirst and the orgies of such red and black cabins as elspeth's crouching in the swamp she groaned as she read of the extravagances of the world and saw her own vanishing revenues but the funds continued to dwindle until sarah smith asked herself what will become of this school when i die with trembling fingers she had sat down to figure how many teachers must be dropped next year when her brother's letter came and she slipped to her knees and prayed mrs gray's decision was due in no little way to mary taylor's reports slowly but surely the girl had begun to think that she had found herself in this new world she would never be attuned to it thoroughly for she was set for different music the veil of colour and race still hung thickly between her and her pupils and yet she seemed to see some points of penetration no one could meet daily a hundred or more of these light-hearted good-natured children without feeling drawn to them no one could come across the thresholds of the cabins and not see the old and well-known problems of life and striving more and more therefore the work met miss taylor's approval and she told mrs gray so at the same time mary taylor had come to some other definite conclusions she believed it wrong to encourage the ambitions of these children to any great extent she believed they should be servants and farmers content to work under present conditions until those conditions could be changed and she believed that the local white aristocracy helped by northern philanthropy should take charge in such gradual changes these conclusions she did not pretend to have originated but she adopted them from reading and conversation after hesitating for a year before such puzzling contradictions as bless alwyn and harry cresswell for her to conclude to treat bless alwyn as a man despite his color was as impossible as to think mr cresswell a criminal some compromise was imperative which would save her the pleasure of mr cresswell's company 
and at the same time leave open a way of fulfilling the world's duty to this black boy she thought she had found this compromise and she wrote mrs gray suggesting a chain of endowed negro schools under the management of trustees composed of northern businessmen and local southern whites mrs gray acquiesced gladly and announced her plan eventually writing miss smith of her decision to second her noble efforts in helping the poor colored people and she hoped to have the plan under way before next fall the sharpness of miss smith's joy did not let her dwell on the proposed board of trust of course it would be a board of friends of the school she sat in her office looking out across the land school had closed for the year and bless with the carryall was just taking miss taylor to the train with her trunk and bags far up the road she could see dotted here and there the little dirty cabins of cresswell's tenants the cresswell domain that lay like a mighty hand around the school ready at a word to squeeze its life out only yonder to the eastward lay the way out the five hundred acres of the tolliver plantation which the school needed so sadly for its farm and community but the owner was a hard and ignorant white man hating niggers only a shade more than he hated white aristocrats of the cresswell type he had sold the school its first land to pique the cresswells but he would not sell any more she was sure even now when the promise of wealth faced the school she lay back and closed her eyes and fell lightly asleep as she slept an old woman came toiling up the hill northward from the school and out of the eastward spur of the greswell barony she was fat and black hooded and aproned with a great round head and massive bosom her face was dull and heavy and homely her old eyes sorrowful she moved swiftly carrying a basket on her arm opposite her to the southward but too far for sight an old man came out of the lower cresswell place skirting the swamp he was tall black and gaunt part bald with tufted hair and a cowed and furtive look was in his eyes one leg was crippled and he hobbled painfully up the road to the eastward that ran past the school with the morning sun at his back strode a young man yellow crisp-haired strong-faced with darkly knit brows he greeted bless and the teacher coldly and moved on in nervous haste a woman hurrying out of the westward swamp up the path that led from elspeth's saw him and shrank back hastily she turned quickly into the swamp and waited looking toward the school the old woman hurried into the back gate just as the old man appeared to the southward on the road the young man greeted him cordially and they stopped a moment to talk while the hiding woman watched howdy uncle jim howdy son it's hot ain't it how is you tolerable how are you poly son poly and what's in mine i's going up to talk to old miss so am i but i just see aunt rachel going in we better wait miss smith started up at the timid knocking and rubbed her eyes it was long since she had slept in the daytime and she was annoyed at such laziness she opened the back door and led the old woman to the office now what have you got there she demanded eyeing the basket just a little chicken for you and a few eggs oh you are so thoughtful sarah smith's was a grateful heart go long now it ain't a thing then came a pause the old woman sliding into the proffered seat while over her genial dimpled smile there dropped a dull veil of care her eyes shifted uneasily miss smith tried not to notice the change well are you all moved aunt rachel she inquired cheerfully 
No, I mean, we ain't going to move. But I thought it was all arranged. It was, gloomily. But the old colonel, he won't let us go. The listener was instantly sympathetic. Why not? she asked. He says we owes him. But didn't you settle at Christmas? Yes, him. But when he found we was going away, he looked up some more debts. How much? I don't know exactly. More than a hundred dollars. Then the boys got in that trouble, and he paid the fines. What was the trouble? Well, one was a gambling, and the other struck the overseer what was a whipping him. Whipping him? In horrified exclamation, quite as much as Aunt Rachel's matter-of-fact way of regarding the matter as at the deed itself. Yes'm, he didn't do his work right, and he whipped him. I speck he needed it. But he's a grown man, Miss Smith urged earnestly. Yes'm, he's twenty now and big. Whipped him, Miss Smith repeated. And so you can't leave? No, he say he'll sell us out and put us in the chain gang if we go. The boys is plumb mad, but I's a pleading with him not to do nothing rash. But I thought they had already started to work a crop on the Tulliver place. Yes'm, they had, but you see, they were arrested, and then Colonel Cresswell took him and loud they couldn't leave his place. Old man Tolliver was powerful mad. Why, Aunt Rachel, it's slavery, cried the lady in dismay. Aunt Rachel did not offer to dispute her declaration. Yes'm, it's slavery, she agreed. I hates it mighty bad, too, cause I wanted the little chillins in school, but... The old woman broke down and sobbed. A knocking came at the door. Hastily wiping her eyes, Aunt Rachel rose. I'll, I'll see what I can do, Aunt Rachel. I must do something, murmured Miss Smith hastily as the woman departed, and an old black man came limping in. Miss Smith looked up in surprise. I begs pardon, mistress. I begs pardon. Good morning. Good morning, she hesitated. Sachs. Jim Sachs. That's me. Yes, I've heard of you, Mr. Sykes. You live over south of the swamp. Yes, ma'am, that's me, and I's got a little shack dar and a bit of land what I's trying to buy. Of Colonel Cresswell? Yes, sir, of the colonel. And how long have you been buying it? Going on ten year now, and that's what I comes to ask you about. Goodness me, and how much have you paid a year? I generally pays about three bales of cotton a year. Does he furnish you rations? Only sugar and coffee and a little meat now and then. What does it amount to a year? I doesn't rightly know, but I's got some papers here. Miss Smith looked them over and sighed. It was the same old tale of blind receipts for money on account. No items, no balancing. By his help, she made out that last year his total bill at Cresswell's store was perhaps $40. And last year's bill was bigger than coming because... I hurt my leg working at the gin and had to have some medicine. Why, as far as I can see, Mr. Sykes, you've paid Cresswell about a thousand dollars in the last ten years. How large is your place? Oh, about twenty acres. And what were you to pay for it? For one. Have you got a deed? Yes, but I ain't finished paying yet. The colonel say as how I owes him two hundred dollars still, and I can't see it. That's why I come over here to talk with you. Where is the deed? He handed it to her and her heart sank. It was no deed, but a complicated contract binding the tenant hand and foot to the landlord. She sighed, he watching her eagerly. I's getting old, and I ain't got nobody to take care of me. I can't work as I once could, and the overseers, they drives me too hard. 
I wants a little home to die in. Miss Smith's throat swelled. She couldn't tell him that he would never get one at the present rate. She only said, I'll look this up. You come again next Saturday. Then sadly she watched the ragged old slave hobble away with his cherished papers. He greeted the young man at the gate and passed out while the latter walked briskly up to the door and knocked. Why, how do you do, Robert? How do you do, Miss Smith? Well, are you getting things in shape so as to enter school early next year? Robert looked embarrassed. That's what I come to tell you, Miss Smith. Mr. Cresswell has offered me forty acres of good land. Miss Smith looked disheartened. Robert, here you are almost finished, and my heart is set on you going to Atlanta University and finishing college with your fine voice and talent for drawing. A dogged look settled on Robert's young, bright face, and the speaker paused. What's the use, Miss Smith? What opening is there for a nigger with an education? Miss Smith was shocked. Why, why, every chance, she protested. And where there's none, make a chance. Miss Taylor says, Miss Smith's heart sank. How often had she heard that deadening phrase in the last year, that there's no use, that farming is the only thing we ought to try to do, and I reckon she thinks there ain't much chance even there. Robert, farming is a noble calling. Whether you're suited for it or not, I don't yet know, but I'd like nothing better than to see you settled here in a decent home, with a family running a farm. But, Robert, farming doesn't call for less intelligence than other things. It calls for more. It is because the world thinks any training good enough for a farmer that the southern farmer is today practically at the mercy of his keener and more intelligent fellows. And of all people, Robert, your people need trained intelligence to cope with this problem of farming here. Without intelligence and training, and some capital, it is the wildest nonsense to think you can lead your people out of slavery. Look round you, she told him of the visitors. Are they not hard-working, honest people? Yes, ma'am. Yet they are slaves, dumb, driven cattle. But they have no education. And you have a smattering, therefore are ready to pit yourself against the organized plantation system without capital or experience. Robert, you may succeed. You may find your landlord honest and the way clear. But my advice to you is finish your education, develop your talents, and then come to your life work a full-fledged man and not a half-ignorant boy. I'll think of it, returned the boy soberly. I reckon you're right. I know Miss Taylor don't think much of us, but I'm tired of waiting. I want to get to work. Miss Smith laid a kindly hand upon his shoulder. I've been waiting thirty years, Robert, she said with feeling, and he hung his head. I wanted to talk about it, he awkwardly responded turning slowly away but miss smith stopped him robert where is the land cresswell offers you it's on the tolliver place the tolliver place yes he's gonna buy it miss smith dismissed the boy absently and sat down the crisis seemed drawing near she had not dreamed the tolliver place was for sale the old man must be hard pressed to sell to the cresswells she started up why not go see him perhaps a mortgage on the strength of the endowment it was dangerous but she threw a veil over her hair and opened the door. A woman stood there who shrank and cowered, as if used to blows. Miss Smith eyed her grimly, then slowly stepped back. Come in, she commanded briefly, motioning the woman to a chair. But she stood, a pathetic figure, faded, worn, yet with unmistakable traces of beauty in her golden face and soft brown hair. Miss Smith contemplated her sadly. 
Here was her most haunting failure, this girl whom she first had seen twelve years ago. In her wonderful girlish comeliness, she had struggled and fought for her, but the forces of the devil had triumphed. She caught glimpses of her now and then, but today was the first time she had spoken to her for ten years. She saw the tears that gathered but did not fall. Then her hands quivered. Bertie? she began brokenly. The girl shivered but stood aloof. Miss Smith? she said. No, don't talk. I'm bad. But I got a little girl, Miss Smith, ten years old, and, and I'm afraid for her. I want you to take her. I have no place for one so young. And why are you afraid for her? The men, they are beginning to notice her. Where? At Elspeth's. Do you stay there now? Yes. Why? He wants me to. Must you do what he wants? Yes, but I want the child different. Don't you want to be different? The woman quivered again, but she answered steadily. No. Miss Smith sat into a chair and moistened her dry lips. Elspeth's is an awful place, she affirmed solemnly. Yes. And Zora? She's not there much now. She stays away. But if she escapes, why not you? She wants to escape. And you? I don't want to. This stubborn depravity was so distressing that Sarah Smith was at an utter loss what to say or do. I can do nothing, she began. For me, the woman quickly replied. I don't ask anything before the child. She isn't to blame. The older woman wavered. Won't you try? pleaded the younger. Yes, I'll try, I'll try. I'm trying all the time, but there are more things than my weak strength can do. Goodbye. Miss Smith stood a long time in the doorway watching the fading figure and vaguely trying to remember what it was that she had started to do when the sharp staccato step of a mule drew her attention to a rider who stopped at the gate. It was her neighbor, Tolliver, a gaunt, yellow-faced white man, ragged, rough, and unkempt, one of the poor whites who had struggled up and failed. He spent no courtesy on the nigger teacher, but sat in his saddle and called her to the gate, and she went. Say, he roughly opened up, I've got to sell some land, and then Dan Cresswell's are after it. You can have it for $5,000 if you get the cash in a week. With a muttered oath, he rode abruptly off, but not before she had seen the tears in his eyes. All night Sarah Smith lay thinking, and all day she thought and dreamed. Toward dark she walked slowly out the gate and up the highway toward the Cresswell Oaks. She had never been within the gates before, and she looked about thoughtfully. The great trees in their regular curving rows must have been planted more than half a century ago. The lawn was well tended and the flowers. Yes, there were signs of taste and wealth, but it was built on a moan, cried Miss Smith to herself passionately and she would not look round any more, but stared straight ahead where she saw old Colonel Cresswell smoking and reading on the veranda. The colonel saw her, too, and was uneasy, for he knew that Miss Smith had a sharp tongue and a most disconcerting method of argument, which he, as a southern gentleman, courteous to all white females, even if they did eat with niggers, could not properly answer. He received her with courtesy, offered a chair, laid aside his cigar, and essayed some general remarks on cotton weather. But Miss Smith plunged into her subject. Colonel Cresswell, I'm thinking of raising some money from a mortgage on our school property. The colonel's face involuntarily lighted up. He thought he saw the beginning of the end of an institution which had been a thorn in his flesh ever since Tolliver, in a fit of rage, had sold land for a Negro school. Hmm, he reflected deprecatingly, wiping his brow. I need some ready money, she continued, to keep from curtailing our work. Indeed. 
I have good prospects in a year or so. The colonel looked up sharply but said nothing. And so I thought of a mortgage. Money is pretty tight, was the colonel's first objection. The land is worth, you know, at least fifty dollars an acre. Not more than twenty-five dollars, I fear. Why, you wanted seventy-five dollars for poor land last year. We have two hundred acres. It was not for nothing that this lady had been born in New England. I wouldn't reckon it is worth more than five thousand dollars, insisted the colonel, and ten thousand dollars for improvements. But the colonel arose. You had better talk to the directors of the Jefferson Bank, he said politely. They may accommodate you. How much would you want? Five thousand dollars, Miss Smith replied. Then she hesitated. That would buy the land, to be sure. But money was needed to develop and run it, to install tenants, and then, too, for new teachers. But she said nothing more, and nodding to his polite bow, departed. Colonel Cresswell had noticed her hesitation, and thought of it as he settled to his cigar again. Bless Alwyn arose next morning and examined the sky critically. He feared rain. The season had been quite wet enough, particularly down on the swampland, and but yesterday Bless had viewed his dikes with apprehension, for the black pools scowled about them. He dared not think about what a long heavy rain might do to the wonderful island of cotton which now stood fully five feet high, with flowers and squares and budding bowls. It might not rain, but the safest thing would be to work at those dikes, so he started for spade and hoe. He heard Miss Smith calling, however. Bless? Hitch up! He was vexed. Are you in a hurry, Miss Smith? He asked. Yes, I am, she replied with unmistakable positiveness. He started off and hesitated. Miss Smith, would Jim do to drive? No, sharply. I want you particularly. At another time she might have observed his anxiety, but today she was agitated. She knew she was taking a critical step. Slowly, Bless hitched up. After all, it might not rain, he argued as they jogged toward town. In silence they rode on. Bless kept looking at the skies. The south was getting darker and darker. It might rain. It might rain only an hour or so, but suppose it should rain a day, two days, a week. Miss Smith was looking at her own skies, and despite the promised sunrise, they loomed darkly. Five thousand dollars was needed for the land and at least another thousand for repairs. Two thousand would buy a half dozen desirable tenants by paying their debts to their present landlords. Then two thousand would be wanted for new teachers and a carpenter shop. Ten thousand dollars. It was a great temptation, and yet, once in the hands of these past masters of debt manipulation, would her school be safe? Suppose, after all, this gray gift, but she caught her breath sharply just as a wet splash of rain struck upon her forehead. No, God could not be so cruel. She pushed her bonnet back. How good and cool the water felt, but on Bless as he raised the buggy top, it felt hot and fiery. He felt the coming of some great calamity, the end of a dream. This rain might stay for days. It looked like such a downpour, and that would mean the end of the silver fleece, the end of Zora's hopes, the end of everything. He gulped in despairing anger and hit the staid old horse the smartest tap she had known all summer. Why, bless, what's the matter? called Miss Smith as the horse started forward. He murmured something about getting wet and drew up at the Toomsville bank. Miss Smith was invited politely into the private parlor. She explained her business. 
the president was there and Colonel Cresswell and one other local director. I have come for a mortgage. Our land is, as you know, gentlemen, worth at least $10,000. The buildings cost $15,000. Our property is therefore conservatively valued at $25,000. Now I want to mortgage it for, she hesitated, $5,000. Colonel Cresswell was silent, but the president said, Money is rather scarce right now, Miss Smith, but it happens that I have $10,000 on hand which we prefer, however, to loan in one lump sum. Now, if the security were ample, I think perhaps you might get this $10,000. Miss Smith grew white. It was the sum she wanted. She tried to escape the temptation, yet the larger amount was more than twice as desirable to her as the smaller, and she knew that they knew it. They were trying to tempt her. They wanted as firm a hold on the school property as possible. And yet, why should she hesitate? It was a risk but the returns would be enormous. She must do it. Besides, there was the endowment. It was certain. Yes, she felt forced to close the bargain. Very well. She declared her decision, and they handed her the preliminary papers. She took the pen and glanced at Mr. Cresswell. He was smiling slightly, but nevertheless she signed her name grimly in a large round hand. Sarah Smith. End of chapter 12